Hi, this is Anirban Chaudhary from the Economic Times. Today, let me take you all to the dense wilderness of Ranthambore. It's daytime. The Rajasthan sun scorches our skin, but our senses are somewhat cooled by the sounds of the Banas River. Why we are undertaking this ordeal should be fairly obvious. You see, we, like so many others before and after us, are waiting for a sight. Best part and the worst part is of course the wait. Ah yes, the wait. Wait is difficult. It is often excruciating. Just the sound of wind now and then. The eerie silence of the forest, the sounds of the birds, the insects, a chorus of barking deer, suddenly chirping birds and whooping sounds of monkey. And yes, the one sound that you're always waiting for, the alarm call of either a deer or a langur, which are very often false alarms. Yes, sir, yes, sir. Call ho raha hai. Ye dekhiye uske bug marks. Bilkul fresh hai. Tiger aane wala hai. Tiger aane wala hai. And this goes on for hours, sometimes even days. So, but that's part of the game. It's part of the game. But when this animal, that Jim Corbett described as a large-hearted gentleman with boundless courage, does turn up, oh boy, what does it? It's just an amazing feeling. The first sight of the all-majestic male tiger sultan from behind the cactus hedge. This dash of bright golden yellow and black. and then the king of the jungle comes out unhurried aloof its paws barely touching the ground he really does a kind of a cat walk it's very very amazing to watch it just glides to the water and then while it's drinking it stops and looks you in the eye you have to have huge courage you get petrified you get mesmerized you feel happy you feel scared That cold, unflinching stare is unlike anything you're likely to experience before or since. Makes me feel so small in front of the adorning creation of the Mother Earth. It is the most challenging, most satisfying, most wonderful experience I've ever had in my life. It's just sublime. It's just an unforgettable feeling. You just heard apart from me three tiger lovers one of whom is actually amongst India's foremost environmental economists Dr Madhu Verma and it's Dr Verma's study that is the fulcrum and pivot of today's episode why you ask well what if i told you that the place i just took you to the tiger and his home is worth thousands of crores There are 53 tiger reserves in India. What if I told you that the combined valuation of just 16 of them could be 7 trillion rupees? What if I also told you that if you were to invest 1 rupee on any one of these reserves, the return could be as high as 7489 times? Well, these are just some of the staggering statistics from India's tiger economy. 
Well, what is the tiger economy? What goes into these massive numbers? Hint, it's not just tourism. Is this economy growing? Is its contribution to India's GDP even recognized? There is just so much money involved. Isn't corporate India getting excited to make business and investment proposals around it? What about the challenges? Congestion? Human-tiger conflict? All this and much more in today's episode. It's Friday, the 16th of June. I'm Anirban Chaudhary and this is The Morning Brief. The character Sher Khan, it left kind of a strong impression on my mind. That's my colleague Richa Sharma, remembering The Jungle Book, the famous Doordarshan adaptation of Rudyard Kipling's legendary work, which, come to think of it, was for so many of us, our first brush with the power and terror of the tiger. Though in the series, the Sher Khan was projected as a tyrant, but, you know, the tigers are this wonderful species. Indeed they are. And Richa clearly loves them. She started writing about tigers in 2006, when their numbers had drastically fallen to just about 1,400. It's of course a different story now. Thanks to the initiative of various governments at the centre and states, that number has more than doubled. According to the latest tiger census, there were 3,167 tigers in India as of 2022. That's an increase of 75% over the last decade. Tigers in India account for 75% of the animal's global population. Tiger is an umbrella species whose health is a keystone for the entire ecosystem. Its well-being is a sign that the ecosystem is functioning well. Richa recently wrote a fantastic story on the tiger economy and its big numbers. So, it's to her that I put my first question. Why are we suddenly talking about tigers now? So, this year we are celebrating 50th year of Project Tiger, which is one of the most successful conservation exercises that is being run for the last so many decades. So, for me, the idea was to look at tiger from a purely economic lens and then bring out the conservation challenges, possible future opportunities through that. So, explain to me, what is the tiger economy? What does it include? See, the tiger sits on the top of animal food chain and regulates an entire ecosystem. Mm -hmm. So in 2019, the economic evaluation of 10 tiger reserves was done by Indian Institute of Forest Management, which was based out of Bhopal. And it pegged the tangible and intangible benefits worth nearly like 6 lakh crores or 6 trillion. Now imagine if we look at the monetary benefits from all the 53 tiger reserves we have in India now. And okay. see, the 53 tiger reserves in India are spread in 18 states, which covers like 2.3% of our geographical area and which sustains around 3167 big cats. Mm. And when we go for the evaluation for each tiger reserve, this evaluation will be different based on the area they have, kind of forest, water body availability and number of tigers that are living in. So it's okay. like kind of an immense potential all tiger reserves have if you look at the economic evaluation. So they silently contribute to the well-being of all species and that is why they are also called as the green engines of economic growth. The forest cover, immense forest cover in these tiger reserves store carbon and they regulate pollution, soil conservation, 
fishing, fodder, fuel wood, timber, tourism, and lot of job opportunities to local people. I decided to speak to a bunch of people who actually live near tiger habitats to find out whether this is indeed a good time for the tiger economy. I am Jay Pratap Singh. I am a wildlife biologist from Ramnagar, Uttarakhand. I've been working on uh, researching wildlife in and around Gobert for more than 10 years now. From Jay I wanted to get an idea of the most accessible obvious metric of this economy tourism. So has business improved in Gobert in the last couple of years? Yes certainly Anirban the number of tigers has been increasing steadily over the last few years since Covid last one year alone lot of tourists have been coming to Ramnagar and to Gobert then what i've been hearing is because a lot of people couldn't travel during the lockdown and covid days and now they want to go out <laughs> you know this new term called revenge travel that's what we've been hearing one of the things that has led to a spurt in uh, tourism recently was the g20 meeting that was held in ramnagar in march 2023 so just a couple of months ago and since this was uh, advertised on a global scale a lot of people who heard about it and who got to know about all the facilities and the infrastructure available in and around Gobert have decided to come over and check it out for themselves plus since covid and um, after the restrictions were eased a lot of uh, new hotels and restaurants have come up around Gobert plus a lot of other adventure activities like off-roading trails and theme parks and all that they have also mushroomed around the landscape not just cobert but even like 30 40 kilometers away so a lot of people they've been coming to cobert to check these out themselves it's a somewhat similar story in ranthambore namaskar anil banji main gul mohammad ranthambore sai madhavpur se हमारे यहाँ पर कोविड के बाद में लगभग 15 से 20 टाइगर का इजाफा हुआ जो कि पहले लगभग बेहतर टाइगर थे और हमारे जो टाइगर का इजाफा हुआ उससे हमारे यहाँ पर टाइगर की साइटिंग बढ़ी और बढ़ने से फ़ायदा हुआ बहुत अच्छा जिससे कि टूरिस्ट में भी बढ़ोतरी हुई टूरिस्ट में बढ़ोतरी होने से हमारे यहाँ पर लगभग डबल बढ़ोतरी होगी जो फॉरेस्ट की रिवेन्यू है उसमें और गाइड ड्राइवर होटलियर्स ट्रेवल एजेंट्स और इसके बहुत सारे कमाने के सोर्स बढ़ गए हैं यहाँ पे और ट्रेवल एजेंसियाँ को भी इजाफा हुआ होटल्स में स्टाफ्स जो होते हैं उनको भी बहुत अच्छा फ़ायदा मिला रणथम्बोर में सभी लगभग लगभग पहले से बहुत अच्छा है अभी But tourism is just one part of this vast economy. Just like the forest that generates it, the economy itself is far deeper, far more complex. With some of the basics covered, I decided to turn to the expert whose research projects in 2015 and 2019 started this whole discourse, this intersection of ecology and economics. Madhu Verma In her first study, the first ever comprehensive evaluation of Indian tiger reserves, Dr. Verma and her team chose six reserves: Gobet in Uttarakhand, 
Kanha in MP, Kaziranga in Assam, Periyar in Kerala, the Sundarbans in West Bengal and Ranthambore. In the following study, she chose 10 more. Nagarjuna Sagar Sri Shailam, India's largest tiger reserve spread over Andhra Pradesh and Telangana, Similipal in Odisha, Dudwa in UP, Valmiki in Bihar and others. The combined value of the wealth of all 16 was about 7 trillion rupees, the figure that I quoted in the beginning of the episode. Dr. Verma told me that there are several pieces that go into the calculation of this valuation. There's timber, there's carbon absorption, water provisioning, carbon credits, employment generation, fishing, and of course tourism. Chat figures separately we did various ways of calculations of, you know, estimating what is called as stock and flow values from these tiger reserves. Stock is something which resides in the tiger reserve, which is the standing timber and the carbon stored in that timber or those trees. So this remains it doesn't go out of uh, the tiger reserve. So it is called a stock value. So if I give you an example of Vandipur, it is 31,476 crores worth of timber and carbon resides inside uh, the tiger reserve. Wow. Then we estimated the value of flows, which had all of the values which I was talking about to you in terms of fuel, wood, fodder, timber, bamboo, NTFP, gene pool protection, carbon storage, carbon sequestration, water provisioning, water purification, sediment retention, biological control, pollination, nursery function, habitat, so many other, and, and above all, recreation, definitely. The value comes out for these ecosystem services. They are flowing every year. It came out to be 6,405 crores every year. Think of a house. The stock value is the price of buying that house, while the flow value would be its rent. Seen another way, stock value when liquidated translates to flow value. So, when the timber in a tiger reserve is standing in the form of a tree, it is stock value. When it is felled and ferried to be sold as wood, it translates into flow value. Both added equal the wealth of the reserve. And I must tell you an interesting information that out of these 53 tiger reserves, around 600 plus rivers or tributaries originate. So you can imagine the amount of water coming out of these, you know, tiger reserves and being used by domestic sector, agricultural, industrial, service, business, everybody goes into sea finally as well. So, but nowhere we record this kind of information. This is a provision given by tiger reserve. In Bandipur, the example that Dr. Verma gave just the provision water was valued at 2066 crore rupees one thing that goes into evaluating such a habitat is avoided costs what do i mean so for example having a forest close to an area automatically means lower temperature and purer air for that area the costs on air conditioners and air purifiers that we would have had to incur had the forest not been there gets added to the math of such costs and to the value of the reserve here's an example for example in a sundarban tiger reserve there's a wonderful function of uh, purifying sewage water of calcutta city you would be surprised to know that calcutta city does not have a sewage treatment plant so entire sewage and water and solid waste goes into sundarban tiger reserve sundarban tiger reserve does a wonderful function of decomposing this waste and purifying water again and because it has a function of decomposition as well and converting into you know useful forms and it, it goes as a food for the primary maybe for fishes and for small plants and the 
it is being absorbed and sequestered and taken care of. So we did this calculation that if Calcutta was to have a treatment plant of sewage, how much would have been the setup cost? What would have been the variable cost? How much charge they would have taken for people? And they did a cost function to see the waste assimilation function turned out to be 1.5 billion rupees per annum, which is done free of charge by Sundarban Tiger Reserve. And if you were to create a habitat of fisheries, if you have a hatchery or a separate, you know, fish ponds, you would have incurred that cost. It turned out to be 5.17 billion per annum. This is huge contribution. These big numbers make for a massive investment opportunity. But how do you gauge that multiple? Fairly simple. Just divide the flow value by the management cost of a reserve. If you invest a rupee in Bandipur Tiger Reserve, it leads to 716 rupees worth of returns. Similarly, if you look at Nagarjun Sagar Salem Tiger Reserve, near the 50,129 crores worth of stock and flow values, flow, stock values exist, and 16,202 crores worth of flow values go out of Tiger Reserve. And if you divide this figure by the management cost of uh, Nagarjun Sagar Tiger Reserve, the value comes to be 7,488, this huge amount. Close to 7,500 rupees on every rupee invested. That's insane. Obviously, large corporates across the world aren't oblivious to this bounty of nature. Here's Gaurav Gupta, Senior Advisor, Conservation Finance at the United Nations Development Programme. So, over the last few years, several things have changed at the global landscape. So, first is that the corporates are increasingly realizing that they are dependent on nature. They need to continue to receive the benefits that they get from nature. And of course, tiger themselves, they live in nature. So this is where there is such a strong interest from corporates now to make sure that the landscapes, including tiger landscapes globally, where they receive the benefits from, they are continued to sustain. So hence, there's an increase in interest from the corporates. The reserves too are veering towards paths that lead to more and more investment opportunities. For example, in 2021, efforts at the Dudwa Reserve to control greenhouse gases earned it carbon credit certificates that can be encashed or traded in domestic and global markets. The carbon credit in that reserve was roughly worth 15 to 20 crore rupees. The government has been encouraging such initiatives. In the next few years, there could be carbon markets in the Sundarbans, Penj, Kanha and Peria Tiger Reserves. The government has cleared similar proposals for Kaziranga and Manas. One thing that has gained massive currency among corporates is impact investing. Basically, money put in to generate positive environmental impact along with healthy financial returns. One example of such an investment instrument is green bonds, whose proceeds must be used in green projects. Companies such as Green Co and Renew have raised money via these bonds for their renewable ventures. Last year, the World Bank issued something called Rhino Bonds to save Africa's black rhino. So, obviously, tiger bonds are also being talked about. So, this is at an exploratory stage. So, one also... World over? It is, we are exploring different options in terms of which debt instrument is preferred and viable for different countries. And when we look at, for example, the different tiger range countries, India, for example, is very different from 
Myanmar or Cambodia, where there is the depth of the financial market. There is a depth in the financial market. But in Cambodia and Myanmar, there is very limited depth and they have very limited experience. So in terms of the kind of financial instrument that is available to different tiger-rich countries is also very different. Gaurav, are these sovereign bonds? So when we are going to different tiger-inch countries, we are not going with a prescriptive solution that you take the sovereign debt or you take non-sovereign debt. We are going with the narrative that there is a potential case of investment into nature. Let's work together to see whether we can, whether there is actually a case. Let's do the analysis if there is a case for investment into nature. And then if there is a case, then let's work together based on your preference, what type of debt instrument we can set up to bring finance to do the conservation of the landscapes. Gaurav says a lot of questions need to be answered and issues resolved before natural habitats become a lucrative space of investment for corporates. I think a lot of it really depends on the regulations that we see forthcoming, both national level as well as at the international level. What kind of regulations are you talking about since you've delved into that area? So, for example... You know, in the carbon credit market, there has been quite a lot of questions around benefit sharing, whether the carbon credit projects actually are benefiting the indigenous people and local communities. And there have been studies, studies which said, no, they are not. Okay. So in that sense, uh, the regulation should really create this framework where the suppliers are creating the nature product that is actually benefiting the communities are actually delivering conservation on the ground. And similarly on the demand side, right? So you cannot have companies that continue to destroy the nature and on the other hand, continue to buy products in the nature market and claim that, you know, they are benefiting the nature and they're benefiting the people. So there has to be a very clear mitigation hierarchy that a corporate itself has to reduce their impact on nature as much as possible before they start participating in the nature market. Of course, all of these are at the stage of ideation, discussion and debate. But there are many glaring, tangible problems also. For instance, the massive value accrued from tiger reserves aren't even accounted for in India's GDP. Nowhere in our accounting system have ever seen what the tiger reserves provide to us or what all tiger reserves provide to us, you know, are being accounted for. And the planning is such that more you contribute towards GDP, more you get in terms of allocation of budgets for your further maintenance and conservation and development. But Taiwan, of course, has got a roar, but a roar doesn't reach the GDP accounting system. And so, naturally, budgetary allocation often suffers. The allocation for Project Tiger, for instance, was cut from 350 crore rupees in FI17 to 188 crore in FI23. Also, you would think that an increase in the number of reserves means room for more tigers, right? I don't agree to this. I don't buy this. Okay. Because experts working for tiger conservation have repeatedly said that some of the Indian tiger reserves are actually overpopulated oh, okay. with high density of tigers. Mm-hmm. And with shrinking space for them, those tiger reserves to accommodate more tigers would be really difficult. And beyond the point, tiger numbers also cannot increase. According to uh, the government study, already about 40% of tigers are living outside tiger reserves. 
because the tiger habitat or tiger reserves are shrinking. So they are moving out of tiger reserves. What I think as of now, the necessity is to support our existing tiger population by ensuring that we have quality forest area, good prey base, proper tiger corridors for movement of big cats. If we have these, at least we can ensure that our existing tiger population are healthy and they survive. And slowly we increase rather than going for a number if we are eyeing like we should have 10,000, but we don't have that kind of carrying capacity and it could lead to further increased human-wildlife conflict. The human-wildlife conflict is perhaps the most serious problem and the governments have been pretty sluggish in resolving this. In her story, Richa wrote that the Karnataka government has got 1000 crore rupees from the centre to relocate people away from tiger areas, but not a single penny has been spent yet, despite various applications from people willing to move. Jay told me that the Uttarakhand government has taken some steps to resolve the conflict. The state government has come out with a policy and increased the compensation that was paid to the locals to the villagers who face man-animal conflict and who either lose a loved one or livestock or even uh, their crops to wildlife straying out of uh, the forest. Secondly, the state government and the forest department have hired a lot of manpower to deal with conflict, to mitigate all this conflict, including uh, biologists and um, veterinary doctors and all. A lot of new equipment has been bought and has been put to very good use in the field. A lot of money is also being spent on uh, fencing around conflict hotspots. So it could be elephant-proof walls, it could be tentacle fencing or just uh, solar fencing. So that has been going on on a big scale. And this has helped in uh, decreasing uh, man-animal conflict to a large extent. While brainstorming with my colleagues on this episode, the question I was asked was, why am I doing it now? What's the relevance? Well, the short answer would be that 2024 is the 50th year of Project Tiger, and so much is happening on that front. But that's really not my reason. I would really have done this episode any day, any month, any year. And my reason is that like every guest in this episode, I love tigers. I can't think of a more perfect creation of nature, a more perfect blend of power and poise, of menace and majesty. My love for tigers is actually one of the few sore points of conflict with my son, who happens to love lions. I really feel it's tigers and not humans and AI that ought to rule the world. And now this episode tells me they have the financial bandwidth as well. So yes. The tiger has to be protected. Project Tiger has brought it back from the edge of extinction, but a lot more needs to be done. The tiger numbers are above 3,000 now, but in 1989, there were 4,000. Also, while there is a net increase in the tiger's population, the spurt is limited primarily to northern India. In a lot of other areas, the numbers are still falling. The first thing to understand is that the tiger needs more space. Like a recent piece in ET said, it doesn't just need a protected area, it needs a landscape. It needs corridors. 
That means more clearance and rewilding of land with central, state and local government support. It also means stronger regulation so that conflict with humans comes down to a bare minimum. Simultaneously, the large wealth of tiger reserves needs to be assessed, accounted for and harnessed. Investment instruments into tiger habitats need to be turned into reality from ideas. And as Gaurav said, it starts from a growing awareness among corporates of first doing their bit to preserve nature and only then invest in it. Only when all of this happens will the tiger truly burn bright. That's it for today. This is your host Anirban Chaudhary. We leave you with a song from the Times Group own tiger campaign Saving Our Stripes. This episode was produced by Sumit Pandey and sound designed by Rajas Nayak. Executive producers Anupriya Nair, Arjit Barman and me. Do tune in every Tuesday, Thursday and Friday to a platform of your choice to listen to your favorite podcast, The Morning Brief. Thank you and have a good weekend. All clips in this episode belong to their respective owners. Credits are mentioned in the description. 